Before we start the program, I want to introduce you to an event that's coming up this August. The Loma Linda Institute of Worship is offering a worship leadership certificate to help leaders and pastors take their congregation's worship experience to the next level. This August 9-12 through 12 event will include presenters Randy Roberts, Adriana Pereira, Nicholas Zork, Wayne Buckner, Richard Hickam, and more, and provide the opportunity to perform on stage with Steve Green and the Heritage Singers. Come sing, pray, write new music, share testimonies and resources, and grow together with like-minded worship leaders from across the world. Go to LLIW.net to register. Welcome to the Loma Linda University Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you will be blessed by the message. Some years ago, I had a conversation with a gentleman who was going to visit a 12-step group. His life was in some difficulty. He was experiencing a great deal of pain and uncertainty and needed some healing. So this was an option he was willing to entertain. I was very interested to see how it would go and how he would respond and what he would experience there. After the experience, we had a conversation, and I asked him, so tell me about it. What did you think? He thought for a minute, and he said, well, it really wasn't what I expected. Really, how so? Well, he said, I just, I was struck by the fact that the people there are really struggling with some things. They're kind of messed up. I said, well, that's kind of the idea, I think. They get together, come together, and share a common strength. But he said, honestly, I guess what bothered me the most is I would have expected them to be so much further because it seemed like it was very much a day-to-day thing. I said, well, that's <laughs> probably correct. Again, that's the idea. But he just shook his head and said, I would have expected them to be further, and he chose not to join. That conversation bothers me. Bothers me quite a bit, in fact. In fact, I've been thinking about it leading up to today. And I want to ask you a question, not related to 12-step groups, but related to church. So here's my question based on that conversation. What do you expect of someone who has attended church maybe for many years? What do you expect from them? Do you expect them to be regular in their worship attendance? Do you expect them to be generous and consistent in their giving? Do you expect them to consistently and frequently volunteer? Do you expect them to have read through their Bible maybe several times? Do you expect them to be above, beyond the temptations that strike ordinary mortals? You know, temptations to fear and to anger and to jealousy and to greed. What exactly do you expect of someone who has attended church for many years? If your answer to that question is primarily behavioral, It may be a mixed bag. There may be a lot of good things, things that you would have expected, but at the same time, there may be some other deeper realities that cause you great concern. It strikes me as I think about that question that maybe we're asking the wrong question. Maybe the question we actually ought to be asking is not, what do you expect of someone who has attended 
attended or been a member of a church for many years, maybe what we ought to be asking is, what is a fair expectation of a genuine and authentic follower of Jesus? Church member or not, what ought we to expect of the one who genuinely follows Jesus? Paul actually helps us with that in Galatians chapter 5. Because in Galatians 5, Paul will tell us what a person who follows Jesus, who allows the Spirit of Jesus to enter into his or her life and form them into his image. He tells us what we can reasonably and fairly expect of that person. It has to do with the person's character. Now, Paul will not use the word character in this passage. He will use a different term, and that term is fruit of the Spirit. But those virtues in the fruit of the Spirit have to do with character. So let's read exactly what Paul says. Galatians chapter 5, beginning with verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. So if we say to Paul, Paul, tell us, what can we reasonably expect of a person who is following Jesus and maybe has followed Jesus for many years? What can we expect to see in their life? Paul might respond to our question with some questions of his own. He might say, well, let me ask you this. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you've been walking with him, if you've allowed his spirit to enter in and begin to form your personality or more accurately stated your character, then let me ask you, are you becoming a more loving person? Is that how those who are closest to you would characterize you? Are you characterized by being a joyful person? Or will the people around you say, he is so moody, she is so irritable, always moaning and whining and complaining about something? Are you a person who is at peace, even in times of turmoil? Are you characterized by patience or more characterized by flying off the handle? Are you kind to the people around you, growing in kindness? Are you a good person? Because all of those are the realities that we can expect to see growing in the life of a genuine follower of Jesus. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and today, faithfulness. So maybe what Paul would say about today's is ask us the question, are you characterized by growing deeper in all of your commitments, being reliable, following through? After all, isn't that what patience is? What you say matches what you do and vice versa? Isn't that what faithfulness is? Isn't it true that what you see is what you get? 
that the person is genuine and authentic and real. They follow through on their word. There is a correspondence, a matching between the outward and the inward. I mean, for example, if I say to you, I'm a runner, a fair expectation you would have of me is that I run regularly. If I say I'm a student, you would expect me to study. If I say I'm a scientist, you would expect me to do research. If I say I'm a married person, you would expect me not to play the field, right? There needs to be a correspondence. I mean, take this area of my life. I love mountain climbing, love it. And I don't mean, you know, molehills around here. I mean real mountain climbing, you know, Aconcagua and Kilimanjaro and Everest, that kind of mountain climbing. I mean, I don't like to do it, but I like to read about it. I love reading about it. It's, it's, it's wonderful, just exceptional. In fact, that mountain out there, Gorgonio, I've never come close to climbing it. But if you have a good book on climbing Gorgonio, I'll read it cover to cover because I love mountain climbing. I mean, I mean, not doing it, but reading about it. Is that the way we approach this issue of faithfulness? Because according to what Paul is saying in this list of virtues of the fruit of the Spirit, is that if we are following Jesus, one of the realities that will happen in our lives is we will become increasingly faithful in all our commitments. That calls for us to do an inventory. 12-step groups, they do a searching and fearless moral inventory. Well, what if we did an inventory of our lives, especially as it relates to the faithfulness of our lives, but we did that inventory based on one question, just one question. What if we asked about many different areas of our lives, facets of our lives, this question? Do those who know me best trust me most? Do those who know me best trust me most? I mean, ask yourself questions about how others would respond to statements you make, giving your word. So you say to a friend, hey, I'll Venmo you that money tonight. What is she thinking in her mind? Is she thinking, I can count on that? Or is she thinking, yeah, I'm going to have to ask her at least four more times before I ever see that money? Or you say to a classmate, let me borrow your textbook tonight. I'll have it back to you tomorrow morning. And they're thinking, yeah, right. Like, that's going to happen. You say to your roommate, I'll have you my part of the rent by Friday. Really? Kind of like you did last month when it was like four Fridays late? Do those who know you best trust you most? Isn't that what faithfulness is? Now, in the Galatian epistle, the Greek word, pistis, is used over 20 times. The direct translation generally is faith. Pistis is faith. It's used over 20 times, however, and it's used in at least three different ways. First of all, pistis, translated as faith, refers to the, the body of belief that believers have about Jesus, this set of doctrines, this set of commitments that we have. You see that in the first chapter when people writing or talking about Paul say, this man who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith. He used to persecute. 
He's referring to that body of belief and to that group of believers who have affirmed that. That's pistis. That's faith. That's the first way it's used. But secondly, it's used, and this is by far the most frequent usage. It is used in the way we might say, I placed my faith, my trust in Jesus. It's a faith commitment. Paul uses it like in the Scripture passage Nandi read this morning. We know that we cannot be justified by the works of the law, but by faith. Faith in Jesus Christ. That's the second way it's used, and that is translated either faith or belief. So those are the first two ways it's used. But it's used in a third way as well, one time. And that's right here in this list of the fruit of the Spirit. It's the same Greek word, pistis. But in this case, it is translated not faith, not belief, but faithfulness. Why is that the case? Well, three quick hits might be helpful from three different commentaries. First one, a commentary for Bible translators, says this. Faithfulness translates the same word which is elsewhere translated faith. It is tempting to understand this in terms of a person's relationship to God, but here it probably includes the elements of faithfulness, trustworthiness, honesty, trustfulness, and reliability in one's dealings with others. In other words, when we first see that word faithfulness in the list of the fruit of the Spirit, we think maybe that's talking about my faithfulness to God, like Joseph or like Daniel. And make no mistake about it, this book calls us to faithfulness to God. But that's not the point in this passage. Second brief comment from William Barclay, two sentences. This word, pistis, is common in secular Greek for trustworthiness. It is the characteristic of people who are reliable. I can depend on her. I can count on him. They are reliable. Third quick hit from Walter Hansen commentary, just one sentence. Faithfulness is the quality of keeping commitments in relationships. In other words, we are living in faithfulness when those who know us best trust us most. We can talk about this probably in every arena of our lives, our communities, our places of work, our places of exercise and working out, our study halls, our families, our spouses, our parenting. In fact, let me talk just a bit to parents because when we think about faithfulness, we rather naturally think about husband and wife and understandably and appropriately so. But we may not think as often about the faithfulness we as parents are called upon to manifest to our children. So let me ask you a question. Do your kids believe you? I'll be home at 6 and we'll go to the gym. Do they believe you? This weekend, Sunday afternoon, we'll go on that long bike ride you've been wanting to go on. Do they believe you? No, 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 no. I promise I'll take the weekend off here in just a couple of weeks. 
do they believe you? I think back to our years of parenting younger kids, and I think back at times with profound sadness thinking. I didn't follow through in the ways I so often needed to, and I'm so keenly aware of the need for grace. And I'm deeply thankful that my two kiddos, our two kiddos, are a lot like yours. They're willing to forgive and sometimes they've just forgotten. Praise God. <laughs> Kids. The writer Arthur Gordon writes of an experience he had as a 13-year-old boy. He and his 10-year-old younger brother were so excited because their father had said, I'm going to take Wednesday afternoon off, and I'm taking you to the circus. They were pumped. They were excited. A whole afternoon with Dad, and on top of that, an afternoon at the circus. Lunchtime Wednesday came. They were sitting around the table eating. He and his brother, his mom, his dad, just excited about the afternoon, and the phone rang. Mom answered it. It's for you. It's your work. Gordon says, right then, just a cloud loomed over their heads. What would happen? They listened to Dad on the phone. What time? When? Where? Today? This afternoon? Okay. And they just waited for the inevitable. And then he said, actually, if it's at that time, I can't do it. I have a commitment that I can't break. He came back to the table. Gordon's mother looked at her husband and said, the circus comes back, you know. And he said, bless his righteous soul. Yes, but childhood doesn't. He said it ought to say something that all these years later, I still remember that moment. Do those who know us best trust us most, including our kids? Or consider the story told by Gary Smalley and John Trent, story told to them, which I'll here recount in their words, many of which they're quoting the man about whom they write. Recently, writes Smalley and Trent, a 40-year-old man described a Saturday morning 28 years before that is still affecting him today. I was just 12 when my Boy Scout troop planned a father-son campout, he said. I was thrilled and could hardly wait to rush home, give my dad all the information. I wanted so much to show him all I'd learned in scouting, and I was so proud when he said he'd go with me. The Friday of the camp out finally came. And I had all my gear out on the porch, ready to stuff it in his car the moment he arrived. We were to meet at the local school at 5 o'clock and carpool to the campground, but Dad didn't get home until 7 p.m. I was frantic. But he told me how things had gone wrong at work and told me not to worry. We could still, still get up first thing in the morning and join the others. After all, we had a map. I was disappointed, of course but decided to make the best of it. First thing in the morning, I was up and had everything in his car while it was still getting light, all ready for us to catch up with my friends and their fathers at the campground. Dad had said we'd leave around 7 a.m. He didn't get up till 9.30 a.m. When he saw me standing 
out front with the camping gear. He finally explained that he had a bad back and he couldn't sleep on the ground. He hoped I'd understand and be a big boy about it. But could I please get my things out of his car? He had several commitments he had to keep. Just about the hardest thing I've ever done was to go to the car and take out my sleeping bag, cooking stove, pup tent, and supplies. And then while I was putting my stuff away and he thought I was out of sight, I watched my father walk out to the garage, sling his golf clubs over his shoulder, throw them into the trunk, and drive away to keep his commitment. That's when I realized my dad never intended to go with me to the camp out. He just didn't have the guts to tell me. Paul says, when we follow Jesus, when we allow his spirit to work in formative ways in our lives, one of the evidences of that, one thing that people can expect of us is that we will become increasingly faithful in all of our commitments. We will increasingly be people of our word. So we ask ourselves the question of our inventory, do those who know me best trust me most? So we've been reading through the Bible again this year. A lot of us, I hear from you. I love it when I hear from you. And you say, I'm on the journey with you, Randy. I'm on the journey. We're reading the chronological Bible this year. So as part of that journey, just a week, seven, eight, nine days ago, I came across the story, you did too if you're on the journey with us, which I think must be one of the most horrible stories in Scripture. Horrible. It's in Judges. The story of a man named Jephthah. You remember the story. Jephthah, who's only a half-brother, son of the same father, son of a different mother, and a mother with a reputation. And so as he comes of age, his brothers say to him, get out of here, we don't want you here. You're not really one of us. And so they chased him away. But Jephthah was a strong man, a warrior type. So later, when his family got into real trouble with enemies, they came knocking at Jephthah's door. Please, can you help us? Can you rescue us? Can you save us? And he's like, so now you come to me? Seriously? Now you want me back? And they said, look, Jephthah, if you will come, if you will rescue us, we'll put you in charge. You'll be number one in the whole clan. He said, deal. Now all he had to do was to defeat the enemy. He had to succeed in that campaign. And so he made a bargain with God or a deal with the devil. He said, God, if you will give me success, if I win, then when I come home, the first thing to come down the lane to meet me, I will offer as a burnt offering to you. He comes home, victorious, successful. And what or who should come dancing down the lane to meet him but his only child, a daughter. 
Scripture is clear. The Old Testament is clear. God to his people, you will not sacrifice your children as the nations around you do. Absolutely not. That's one moment when a parent should have broken his word. But not so. He had cut that deal. He had won. Read the story. He sacrifices her. Horrible in the extreme. But as I read it last week and as I lingered over that gut-wrenching tale, I thought, you know what? Jephthah lives on. He lives on in the lives of any of us as parents who are willing to sacrifice our children on the altar of professional success. Just let me be top of the class. Graduate in first place. Let me be chief resident. Let me get the corner office. Let me have my office in C-suite. I'll pay any price to get there. Anything that I need to do, I'll do it. And then we see a father driving off, leaving a son surrounded by camping gear in his high-end car because of his success with a license plate that says, Jephthah. Do those who know us best trust us most? Faithfulness, reliability in our commitments, standing for the good of the other, keeping our word. So we have to ask that inventory question. Do those who know me best trust me most? When I say to my work colleague, look, go on home. I'll come in early tomorrow. I'll make sure all the copies are made, the minutes are done, everything is on the table, ready for the 8 o'clock meeting. Can my colleague trust me? When I tell my fellow students, I'll do my part of the project, it'll be done by this date and time, is it done? If you say to your spouse, I'll be home for dinner at 6, can she count on you? Can he count on you? Speaking of such questions, I decided to retell you a story for a purpose. So the late, and in my view, the great, forgive me, Fred Craddock, said on one occasion, I wanted to be faithful. I wanted to be known for faithfulness. In fact, he said, I wanted to be so faithful that I would stand no matter what happened and, and, and they would burn me at the stake and they would put up a memorial, here lies Fred, faithful to the very end. He said, it's like my life was a $100 bill that I slapped down on the counter in front of God and said, here it is, it's all yours. Faithful. Problem is, said Craddock, when I approached God about that, showed him the $100 bill of my life, 
He broke it down into quarters and dimes and nickels. Here's how I want you to do it, Fred. A nickel, a quarter, a dime at a time. Just little acts with others, with your wife, with your kids, with your colleagues at work, with your neighbors. Just little acts of faithfulness. That's how I want you to be faithful. So I told that story here. Next day, I was over at Drayson Center playing basketball. Now, you quickly learn playing basketball that he's not who you thought he was, and he learns that you're not who he thought you were. As you know, you get out there and bumping and grinding and pushing and shoving and testosterone running all over the court and people questioning each other's heritage and all the rest that goes on in a hotly contested basketball game. I can't tell you how often. It happened, not all the time, but it certainly happened on more than one occasion that we'd come out of a hotly contested game, push and shoving language off, and I'd walk over to the side and somebody would walk by me that I'd just been competing against. They'd say, hey, Pastor, loved your sermon yesterday. I'm like, what? Were you the guy that was just out there loved my sermon? Wow. And so I preached that sermon, talked about nickels and dimes and quarters of faithfulness, those little acts of faithfulness. Next day, playing basketball. Comes a moment, rebound, guy jumps. I, I mean, I appeared to jump, but anyway. So we're both grabbing the ball, wrestling. It comes out of our hands, and in my view, it bounced off him, and I was standing right there watching. It hit the line. I'm sure it hit the line. It was out, and it hit you last. He grabbed the ball, and I knew what was coming next. He was going to say the exact same thing about me. He grabbed the ball, and he looked at me for a minute. I'll tell you exactly as he said it. Just keep this between us. He looked at me, suddenly flicked the ball to me, started to run up court, and yelled over his shoulder, Oh, you and your damn quarters. <laughs> and I said, Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Somebody heard. Just a quarter, a dime, a nickel of faithfulness at a time. Do those who know us best trust us most? Chuck Swindoll, the well-known radio preacher, pastor, and writer, says that when he and the woman he would go on to marry first began dating. She was still dating some other guys, but he was really interested in her, and it killed him that day that she accepted a date with another guy to the, to the football game on campus, Texas A&M, the Aggies football game. Just killed him. Why'd she accept that? But the thing that really killed him was at that time, in that stadium with the Aggies, there was a tradition that every time the Aggies scored a touchdown, every guy in the stadium would kiss his date. And so Swindoll says, I'm listening on the radio to this game. And I'm like, defense, defense, defense. <laughs> and finally the Aggies score, and he's like, oh, man, come on, defense, defense. And then they score again. He said, oh, no, 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 please. Aggies won that day 48 to nothing. <laughs> it's like an uninterrupted makeout session. He's like, what, what happened here? What happened? He said, as we progressed in our relationship, I had to deal with issues of jealousy and trust and growing faithfulness. Let's just be honest, friends. 
every one of us, in all of our relationships, has more than we wish we had to repent of. I'm so frequently reminded of how I need to act in light of the words of Ellen White who said, we will frequently have to kneel in humility and repentance before Jesus. But we can grow. Jamie up here told the kiddos, you, you pour the water on the plant, you nurture the plant. So one of the ways we nurture it, for example, in that relationship of marriage, we place our trust in the other. And make no mistake about it, when you trust a sinful human being, no matter how good they are, that's a risk. But you still place your trust. And then that person responds by trustworthy behavior. When you trust, and they manifest trustworthy behavior, faithfulness is built. Because to trust without any evidence of trustworthy behavior is just foolish. But to offer trustworthy behavior and not be trusted is discouraging. And so we continue to grow, asking God, please, might your spirit so reside in my heart and my life that I am formed and that this plant of my life might bear the fruit of the spirit, might bear the fruit of faithfulness. That I might be a person of my word. That the people around me can count on me. That they know that what I say is true. Because it's a fair, it's a biblically fair expectation that those who know you best should be able to trust you most. Gracious God, please, we repent of the times we have failed, and by the power and grace of your Spirit, we commit to nurture the plant so that when the roots are healthy, the fruits will grow. Make us people of faithfulness. In Jesus' name, amen. Find more podcasts, videos, church events, and how you can support the Loma Linda University Church at LLUC.org.